Welcome to Mindful Social, the show that intersects mindfulness and emotional intelligence with the hectic online world we live in today. Welcome everyone. I had such a great chat this week with Michael Brenner, author of the newly released Mean People Suck, How Empathy Leads to Bigger Profits and a Better Life. Michael shares with us what's really at the root of being disengaged and miserable in our jobs. And spoiler alert, sometimes it's us, our attitude, our expectations, or even our victim mindset. Michael shares how we can get to a place where we allow ourselves to be happy in the job we're doing by bringing empathy and service to others forward. This helps us, our brand, the company we work for, our customers, and the world. How awesome is that? Welcome, Michael. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm really glad that you could come on the show, and I'm so excited to tell people about your book because that title, Mean People Suck, just pretty much says it all. We could just end right here. Well, it's, um, I, I actually love it for its irony. And um, there's actually irony in both the title and the subtitle. So oh. part of the reason I like it is um, the irony in the mean people suck is that um, what I found in looking back at all the jobs I've had, and I was shocked at how many I had when I counted, was that um, while I didn't love my boss or my company or my job in most situations, um, it was really my fault. <laughs> and so I think the tendency that we have is to say, my boss sucks, my company is old school, my job is lame, and I'm going nowhere. Um, part of the you know, promise of the book is no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you can get to that happy place that we all want to get to. So that's, that's kind of the irony in, in the title. Mm. So, yeah. And the subtitle? So the subtitle is How Empathy meaning, you know, understanding the needs of others can actually get you what you want. So I think the, the irony is a little more obvious there, but um, the point is that I think we're all taught, you know, go after your goals and grab your dreams by the horns. And um, the fact is that when, you know, what I found, at least in the, a lot of the research that's in the book and the stories that I share, are it's the people that put service to others or service to a higher purpose or some sort of a larger goal. And I'm not talking, you know, religious or hippy-dippy kind of stuff. Um, really just when executives focus on serving customers, when employees focus on helping their team, those are the people that, that seem to achieve the greatest success, the greatest personal satisfaction. And so that's the irony and the counterintuitive nature, I think, of of empathy really to begin with is, you know, when you put others ahead of yourself is when you can actually get what you want uh, or at least what you need. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it speaks to me of the what's your why kind of idea, because mm -hmm. if your why is to get stuff out of your customers, they're going to feel that. And if your why is to serve, it's a totally different vibe and, and people in, innately feel that it's just basic. Yeah, I, th I, I didn't say this in the book, but I just, I think I tweeted this yesterday that our, our bullshit meters are so high <laughs> that we're starting to, um, you know, stop buying from companies who we think are only out for themselves. We're ignoring messages from brands that are only out for themselves. And, um, you know, that's partly just a natural, you know, nature of, of some of the massive amounts of digital communications that are happening today. But, but you know, it, it's not a marketing book, but the, the impact and the, you know, the, the sort of the, 
uh, the guidance that it provides those of us that are doing marketing is pretty obvious. You know, yeah, you really have to not just put promotion and propaganda ahead of, of trying to serve your customers. Yeah, because you're not going to stand above anything if you're doing what everybody else is doing, right? That's right. My favorite stat in the last couple of years is the Advertising Research Foundation did a study and found that after something like 40 brand messages in a month, sales of that brand go down. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I, I don't want to ever be seen as someone bashing any industry. And I, I, I have lots of friends in the advertising industry. I think advertising can be an important part of the mix for marketing. But um, I think sometimes executives who aren't in marketing forget that we can, you know, we can push it too hard. We can go too far. And, um, you know, and it's, again, it's counterintuitive, right? We think, Hey, you know, push product, push product, let's promote, let's advertise as much as we can. The bigger the budget, the better. And the fact is, you know, and I like to joke that if you watch one football game, you'll see a Chevy commercial more than 40 times. And uh, so, (laughs) you know, if Chevy's really looking at the data, I think they might see, maybe they should just bring that number down just a little bit. Mm. Yeah, you can't slap them with a fish over and over and over again and get something, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) I actually read something from Scott Monty yesterday, a couple days ago on Twitter about volume. And, you know, so what do brands need to be doing that isn't me, 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 buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff? I, well, it's really the opposite of that. And um, I mean, my whole business is essentially uh, um, supporting companies that, you know, commit to a frequency, not not volume, but a frequency, a commitment mm. um, to a regular cadence of customer focused content. That's essentially what we help our, our clients do. And, and it means once a week or twice a week or, you know, something like that. Um, and it's a hundred percent, you know, I have two rules. One is no assholes. I don't work with jerks. <laughs> and the other one is, is I don't create ads. It's no, no product promotion. We help, we help brands, uh, you know, create thought leadership or content marketing or whatever you want to call it. It's customer focused, helpful educational content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that works best across all platforms, right? It does. And it, it, uh, it's almost predictable. And I don't, I hate to say that because I don't want my clients to sort of come back and say, you said it was going to be, um, but I do show them a chart that says, you know, here's the aggregate or average of all of our clients and the sort of uh, exponential growth curve that they, that they follow the, you know, there's no one really off the growth curve there. You know, they all start at a different place, Mm -hmm. but the growth is the same. And it's, um, you know, so it's this commitment to customer focus. It's a commitment to frequency, uh, you know, trying to create as best a content, you know, best of marketing message as you can with the budget you have. Those are the companies that are winning. Those are the brands that are winning. So how do we sell that to, I mean, the data that you just put out there, certainly that's helping a lot. But when you, and it certainly works for the C-level, but when you start to trickle that down, whether it's to marketing or to sales, how do we teach people that having empathy or compassion for the people that they're serving is really important? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, this is, I think, actually one of the biggest gaps in marketing um, you know, today is the ability to present the business case for more customer-centric and business result-oriented marketing, really. Uh, because I think, I think the, what, what marketing has been in the past has been the sales team says we want a brochure and the marketing team says, okay, 
And the executives say, we want to put our logo on, on a soccer stadium. And the marketing team says, yeah, we'd love that budget. And we love making the salespeople happy by sending them to the booth where they can, you know, wine and dine our customers. Um, marketing traditionally has been the yes, sir, you know, how high can I jump kind of thing. Um, and, and hasn't always worked the muscle of here's what we're going to do or what we're not going to do. And here's the business value of A versus B. The business case, you know, in, in my book, The Content Formula, the first chapter is building the business case. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just a skill that I don't think marketers have traditionally focused on. And so, um, you know, I think there's different ways to tell that story for, for sales. When I was at SAP, I'll never forget the sales team always used to walk over and they'd say, here's a brochure. I'm, I, I'm the VP of sales for retail. Here's a retail brochure that talks about how awesome we are for retailers. Use this to get me leads. And, I, and at first I said, yes. And then I realized, well, that didn't get any leads. <laughs> and then I found that when we published white papers on customer experience or CRM or loyalty to retailers, um, non-promotional content, mm -hmm. I was able to get leads. So I started using those experiences to present the data. Like, yes, I know you think a brochure is the best thing to get leads for sales, um, but here's what we've done that has gotten sales before, and it's not a brochure, it's not promotion, it's not spec sheets, you know. And so I think a little bit of data, a little bit of experience. The best story I ever had is we were trying to build a content marketing platform for a company, and the product team wanted to talk about product, the sales team wanted to push the product, and um, I simply pulled up uh, and Googled their, the search term that they all knew was a buyer intended search term. It was a, a sales signal. And this company didn't show up. They didn't show up at all. Their mm -hmm. competitors showed up on the first page and the second position, the fourth position and the seventh position. And they didn't show up. I clicked probably 15 times and they, they didn't show up at all. And that sort of FOMO, you know, I, I love it. I call it the, you know, sort of the use of fear when, when the math won't work, you go to fear. <laughs> Those kinds of simple examples and experiences really, I think, start to help people uh, to visualize what they're missing out on. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, and I think what I hear you saying is that marketing needs to start driving the bus a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think the option is either getting, it's either driving the bus or getting kicked out of the bus because <laughs> um, what's happening is, is we're, and I'm, I'm, I just had a debate with someone on Twitter today and um, I was saying that marketing should, should should have a stake in the culture of the organization and start to think about engaging employees outside of marketing because today the kinds of communications that really work are real communications from real people inside companies real customers you know it's customer advocacy employee advocacy um and she disagreed with me and and you know she said we're too busy and, 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 you know, my comment was just busy doing what? Busy doing emails, creating ads no one wants, creating brochures nobody wants. Um, and I know what she was saying is that marketing has a lot of marketing it needs to do. And, and I, you know, I think my response to her was fair enough, but I think, you would, I think we would all agree that marketing needs to be more strategic. Hmm. So it's a choice. I think marketers, uh, marketing leaders face a really tough choice. Do we want to be the people that just say yes and do the stuff that we get asked to do? Um, if we do that, I think we're in a, a really negative death spiral uh, of, of lack of value and then, you know, measurable results. Uh, when I ask marketers what their biggest challenge is, it's always demonstrating ROI. And the only way to do that is to, is to kind of, you know, put your big boy pants on, if you will, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and really start to define the strategies, define what we will and won't do, and only focus on the things that drive real value that the business can measure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
shut down the silos. Absolutely. Because that's Absolutely. the death of the entire company. It's not just, you know, marketing hates engineers, sales hates marketing. It's yeah. such a vicious circle. And yep. it's really a negative effect all across the board for everybody in the company because it yeah. creates that divisiveness that really isn't helping anybody. Yeah. I mean, in the book, I actually, I, th I think you're teeing me up here for, for, promoting my book but so thank you for that but uh but no i mean i actually identify the org chart as the problem that faces all of humanity if you will i don't know maybe that's a stretch but you know when you talk about miserable employees when you talk about bad marketing when you talk about unhappy customers the org chart inside organizations is what causes it it's the silos and the the sort of please my boss and this sort of almost hero worship that takes place with some executives um you know to, to their to the to the people above them I think is really the, the main problem. And so what I propose instead is what I call the bullseye. The bullseye is an organization that puts the customer at the center. And, and every, every individual across the organization would be asking what's in it for the customer. You know, should I create a brochure in marketing? What's in it for the customer? Um, if I'm in sales, should I start cold calling people or, or cold emailing them in, in LinkedIn? Uh, what's in it for the customer? If I'm in customer service, is it better for me to try to, you know, answer a customer question and get off the phone as quickly as possible? Is that the right thing for the customer? And you can go to even to product and to legal. I, I even make the joke that even lawyers should care about customers because they wouldn't have a job in their, their cushy corporate lawyer job if they didn't have customers that bought more from them. So, you know, I think the bullseye really serves everyone. Um, and I love to start to see organizations develop that model of organizational thinking. Mm -hmm. So some of that's really around organizational health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's organizational health. I mean, employee engagement is probably the measure. I, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, per, you know, sort of put myself out there as an organizational design, uh, you know, theorist, but uh, there's lots of smart people out there that do that. But um, I've never seen anyone propose, a, you know, a bullseye centered organization or trying to get rid of the boxes and lines in org charts. Um, you know, we've tried to do flat org charts, which we all know is a bunch of BS. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so, you know, I think it, it is really about uh, in, you know, employees that are engaged in their work, doing work that they feel matters, serving customers to the point where those customers uh, are buying more and happy and staying longer and, and driving up our share prices. Isn't that what everybody wants? Mm, yeah, that is what everyone wants, including mm -hmm. the customer. Right. Because right. it wouldn't go up if it wasn't worthwhile. That's right. So going back to the title, Mean People Suck, again, <laughs> you know, I love titles like that. Sure. I really, I really want to touch on organizational critique and how people talk to each other in the organization and what a roadblock that that can create. And I know that's a really broad question, but I'm sure you have some thoughts on that. Yeah, I've, I've been. I mean, there's a lot of research I'm, I cite in the book and and the, it's it's interesting for me because I, I find the bibliography of the book just as interesting as the book itself because <laughs> the research you know when, when you're doing it it's like birthing a baby you know it's it's uh, exhausting but the you know the result is obviously you know br brings you great joy but you know the process was interesting for me as well and so the research was really kind of cool and it, it there's a lot of 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 concentric thinking around this idea. Um, I, I just read Dan Coyle's The Culture Code, and I reached out to him on LinkedIn. I said, you know, if, I feel like you wrote the same book I did. Uh, he actually launched it before me, so I, should, I, should, I wish I had read it before I launched. But it had this similar concept, um, organizational 
uh, or organizations that have innovation that um, have happy and engaged employees. Those happy and engaged employees all, if, when they're asked, talk about this feeling of psychological safety in their company. The feeling that they can express ideas without being criticized. Uh, I, I tell um, the story of Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, who tried to bring a culture of empathy when he became the head of, of Microsoft and how he wanted to move them from a culture um, of I, I know everything to a culture of I'm always learning. And it's creating that psychological safety that I think is really really important. The, 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 the psychology is, the research is there. The organizational design research is there. So we're starting to see all of these different, very different sort of veins of psychology and sociology and org design coming together that feeling safe where you work uh, is, is really important. And it's not just about, it's not your physical safety. It's the safety to express new ideas. Mm -hmm. And um, that, you know, I, I think back to the 53 jobs I mentioned in the book that I've had, I don't recall feeling psychologically safe to express new ideas in any of them. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and I think most corporate marketers, you know, it's funny when I meet corporate marketers sometimes and, and other business leaders and, you know, some of them have this sort of like, vict you know, the, I, they, I, I feel like they're in prison. They're like, help me get out, please. I, I need to, I need to escape. And I think it's because of, of some of that, you know, again, the org chart, the top down mentality that doesn't work in today's world. Um, I think it all starts with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, we do see that so much, especially with the, the org charts. And as you said, you know, when you try to level the org chart, it just becomes anarchy doesn't really help anybody either. No, no. And, and my experience too is that, you know, in small companies, the po I've always said the politics are the same. They're just concentrated into fewer people, mm. <laughs> which, which again, you know, you, you get to this, uh, I mean, there's definitely hero worship, I think in Silicon Valley with, you know, I think Google talked about, um, former employees talk about the um, aberrant geniuses was the article I just read on. Um, mm. I, I think it was in uh, Business Insider. It was referring to another article um, and interviews with with Google employees, where they talked about these aberrant geniuses uh, were allowed to to really do whatever they wanted, and that led to you know to illegal and and sexual abuse and all kinds of activities that no organization should put up with. And and so you know you know yeah, I think sometimes politics is just concentrated when we try to flatten the org chart or we go to smaller companies. No, we really need to fix the the purpose and the mission of our companies. Mm. So let's go to that then. Let, give me some ideas on, you know, if I'm stuck in a really rigid structure and I'm in that marketing role, what am I going to do to mm. open minds? And let's, let's not bring data into it for this one. We're not going to just say, here's the data. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. What are we going to do to kind of change that culture? Yeah. So the first thing I do with every client I work with is we, we work on a mission statement. And, you know, a lot of times I get the pushback, like, hey, we already have a mission statement. And I was like, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll let that be what it is. And lots of people probably worked on that. Um, let's just do a mission statement for us and what we're going to do and, or, or for you and your team. Um, and the mission statement exercise for me is, is very, very simple. It's basically, who are you trying to serve? What is, the, what is the topic or the challenge that you help your customer solve? And what's the impact on the customer? Mm. It's really Simon Sinek's why, you know, as you, as you sort of referenced earlier. Um, what's the why behind the buy? 
And um, for a lot of companies, it, it goes back to the founding story. You know, there was a founder who wasn't, you know, some engineer who, uh, you know, discovered how to, you know, create light bulbs and all of a sudden, you know, we're the best light bulb company. That was never the mission of GE. Uh, you know, so it's, the point is, what is the reason that you're doing what you're doing and what's the impact it makes on the customer? So what has really been cool is that I've done this probably 60 or 70 times. Oh. For eight of those companies, those mission statements were then, and, and they weren't exactly translated, but they were, they then became the, essentially the mission statement for the whole company. Um, because it, I think the value of it is really clear. When you can clearly define who you're serving, you know, what challenge you're solving and how that impacts your customers, that helps, you know, that helps your organization really truly focus on those things. So th there's a story, there's a founding story behind every company that often answers that question. Um, you know, or sometimes it's, you know, finding the engineer that's been, you know, relegated to the closet who's, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately not the hero that he or she should be. Um, they have a story to tell and, and go find that story and tell that story. Mm, yeah, I love that. I, I like to tell clients, go talk to the engineers and okay, maybe they're not the best communicators in the way that you want to communicate, but find out what that story is, interview them and get that out there because that really is, you know, it goes to the old, I forget the name of the movie, um, see a need, fill a need. Mm -hmm. It's really the key is why are we here? Why are we doing this? And, mm -hmm. you know, we're not building whatever it is for ourselves necessarily, mm -hmm. although the That's engineers right. might be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm, I've, been, I've been pleasantly surprised with the really technical uh, product-focused engineer type people who have some great stories to tell. And um, some of them actually want to tell their stories as well. And, mm -hmm. and organizations that really, truly activate and encourage those kinds of, of individuals to tell their stories um, are seeing a lot of success. And, it, you know, Intel has done that for a while. Um, I think Dell has done that for a while. You know, we, HP did it for a little bit. Um, see, there are some technical companies that, that, that really, you know, sort of celebrate their engineers and, and the stories that they have. Um, but I think we need to see more of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But there is the idea, and I know that a lot of uh, larger corporations like Google, for example, don't do that because they don't want to build brands outside their company for their employees, for their engineers, for whoever it is. Um, how do you feel about that mindset? Um, you know, again, I, I, it's not, uh, I've worked with a lot of really smart um, and great creative people on the branding side. Um, most of them, I think, would agree that the day of a company the days of companies defining what their brand means um, have have largely are largely behind us, uh, and and you know and I learned and I, I think it's you know it's it's a textbook from the 1980s, um, I think recent Trout I think uh, you know that your brand exists in the mind of the consumer mm -hmm. was the line I remember learning about. Uh, even then, they knew that brand was outside of our control, that it, it was an experience that lived in someone's brain. And you can't reach in and, and massage that and change it to, you know, you can't make it blue when it's red. And, um, and so I think, you know, even then, the right, you know, the smart people behind branding understood that that existed outside of themselves. I believe that uh, companies that are, that are really creating effective brands are building 
their brand on the backs of their individual employees. They're, they're encouraging their employees. LinkedIn is actually a really great example of this. And I mean, I work with LinkedIn in partnership uh, to develop the kind of content that celebrates employees. And, and I don't remember exactly what LinkedIn's mission is, but it's something like empowering people, uh, you know, to do what they were born to do, um, which is actually the last chapter of the book, Mean People Suck, is trying to figuring out what you were born to do. It's a, a mm -hmm. concept called Ikigai, which I was introduced um, from, it's a Japanese term, uh, was originally written about by Dan Buettner in his book, Blue Zones. Uh, and there's a little bit of a fun story in how I even learned about it. But the point is, um, that's LinkedIn's mission, and they celebrate people that do that. They do that with their own employees. And so I love working with, with their folks who are all encouraged to build their personal brands because LinkedIn believes that they're building their brand on the backs of the, the strength of their employees' personal brands. And there are companies that are doing that. Um, Adobe with their, uh, with their Adobe Insiders program and, you know, employee advocacy and customer advocacy are a big part of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I find, you know, the future of marketing is really in employee, what I call activation, what others call employee advocacy. I make that distinction because some companies think employee advocacy is, hey, employees, please share these press releases that we created. Right. That no employee wants to do that and it doesn't work anyway. The the smartest companies, the leading companies out there are finding and and activating their employees to to share their expertise, to tell the stories that they have, and they're building their brand on that, on real authentic storytelling. And I don't think there's anything more powerful than that. I, I don't think that there's uh, really any alternative to that. So I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, really where the world of branding goes uh, from that perspective and how many folks are, are kind of taking, taking the charge on, on that. So it's also giving employees across the board a sense of agency in how the company succeeds. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, it is. And, and it also means, as I told one brand, and I was never asked back again, um, <laughs> to lower your editorial standards. <laughs> and um, I said it, and the room gasped. And I, I was on the stage, it was in Chicago, and it was a, like an accounting um, technology company. And, and I, as soon as I said it, I'm like, I, I probably didn't position that the right way. Um, <laughs> Because they were asking a question like, well, if we get employees to write on our corporate website, on our blog, how do we get them to follow our, our editorial guidelines? And I'm like, well, maybe you should lower your editorial guidelines. Not the right way to say it. What I meant to say was it, celebrate the diversity of the voices inside your company. Make your voice so, human. Exactly. And so, yes, giving them agency, absolutely. That means giving up a little bit of control. And, and you know, when you, when you publish a web page on your website, if it's a product page or something, I'm not saying you shouldn't have editorial guidelines and tone and voice, uh, you know, and, and color, you know, guidelines for your brand. But when it comes to your employees, I think it's important to let them be who they are. Absolutely. And who knows more about the language that your customers use Exactly. than the people who actually touch them because marketing often doesn't touch exactly them, except right. in a you know focus group which does not count right in my opinion i agree <laughs> i agree <laughs> yeah 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 well i really am so looking forward to hearing more about this and hearing what people have to say about the book which is always fascinating to me to see how people respond to books Mm -hmm. um, especially when they have kind of a reactive title. Let's see how they respond to this. I think it's going to be really good. 
And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, almost literally holding my breath, uh, <laughs> waiting to see, uh, you know, especially when you see those Amazon reviews. And there's, there's a lot of folks out there that love to give nasty reviews. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm building up my, you know, my outer shell to try to, uh, to prepare for it. But, you know, I, my intention with the book is to help people. I hope somebody gets helped by it. You know, if a few more people than one person get helped, I'll be happy and thrilled. Uh, so we'll see. But thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about it. No, absolutely. My pleasure. And I will just say about negative reviews on Amazon, (laughs) people suck. (laughs) Mean reviews suck. (laughs) That'll be my response. (laughs) It's it's usually a insecurity issue. So that's all I got to say. That's right. Anyway, why don't you tell people where they can find the book? And I understand you're recording the audio book, which is my personal favorite. I love audio books. Thanks. Yeah. I'm in the so. process. It's fun. I, I have to, you can only really do about an hour at a time because you start to lose your voice. So, yeah. um, so it's been a fun process, but uh, yeah, no, please go to meanpeoplesuck.com. Uh, how did no one own that domain, that URL? <laughs> Amazing. Jen and I went out to, to godaddy.com. I typed meanpeoplesuck.com and, and, no one owned it. I couldn't believe it. Um, I had to buy it. So, you know, it was a couple hundred bucks, but still. Um, so, so because I think most people think of it as like a t-shirt, I, there's mm. merch available. So you don't need to buy the merch, just buy the book, please. Um, but no, please go to meanpeoplesuck.com. You can see the book, you can see the merch. Uh, we go on pre-sale November, uh, September 4th. I'm not sure when you're going to launch the, this, uh, the podcast. We go on sale October 25th mm. and, um, uh, and, and I've got some sort of free giveaways for anybody who wants to reach out to me and let me know that they bought the book and, and, and uh, um, you know, are willing to tell me what they think. So let me know. I think a lot of people are going to be willing to tell you what they think. But why don't you uh, give me that information, too, and I'll put it in the blog post and we'll make sure that everybody has lots of ways to get the book and give you feedback. That sounds great. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to Mindful Social. I hope you enjoyed the show and I would love to hear your feedback. Send me an email to Janet at JanetFouts.com or visit my blog at JanetFouts.com for more shows just like this one. Please don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends.